If you've ever been into political debates about really hotly debated topics such as critical race theory or CRT, then today you're in luck because on Timcast IRL, he had on a conservative founder of Turning Point USA, Charlie Kirk, on the right, and then on the left, the self-proclaimed liberal socialist and internet personality, Vosh, talking about several topics. But the main one that we're going to get into today is critical race theory. So both of them debate over the nuances of what critical race theory is, what's being taught to third graders in school. And even Tim Poole, the moderator, chimes in with a couple topics such as critical race praxis and also the 1619 project that is being taught in schools. The reason why I'm showing this is not to eventually land on a very... Um, sacred or holy answer, yes or no, critical race theory. It's more to actually show something that Vosh points out in the debate, and that's these are topics that should be talked about. They at least should be talked about as to whether and why or not we should be talking in society about these things. So it's interesting because there is a bit of a free speech thing in there as well. But when it comes to academia, that's specifically where Charlie seems to be leaning on the right. So I'll just hop right into it. If you like what you're hearing, smash that like button, comment below, share the video out far and wide to everyone that you think could find it useful and get ready for waking news. Welcome back to Waking Infinity News. I'm your host, Ben Joseph Stewart. Okay, 2020 and 2021 have been very volatile. We can say that in the political landscape. We can say it in the social landscape. We can say that in the health sector as well. But the bottom line I want to bring up is the fact that there are a lot of people getting right back into politics. Strange, because... Ten years ago, people were like, I can't stand politics. It's dumb. The left-right paradigm. I can see straight through it. And then all of a sudden, it's almost as if we're in the fourth turning, the winter crisis period of the Great Saculum, the 90-year period in Anglo-Saxon American history. And in the fourth turnings, all inciting incidences, they seem to lead towards uh, cohesion, some kind of group safety and herd mentality congealed action when an inciting incident comes up. Inciting incidences cause people to come together and get back into politics, and there's a lot more populism going on now that really shows that that's kind of what people are doing. They're hopping straight back into the now I believe in politics, now I believe in the left-right paradigm, and I see myself identified deeper in those preordained grooves. So I want to show you a really good debate around critical race theory. Now, what is critical race theory? According to Google, it's a body of legal scholarship and an academic movement of civil rights scholars and activists in the United States who seek to critically examine the intersection of race and U.S. law to challenge mainstream American liberal approaches to racial justice. Thanks, Google. So, with that being said, I'm just going to hop right into it. Here is on the Timcast IRL show... Charlie Kirk and Vosh. We can we can talk about what's happening in schools. 
the things they're teaching children. And I don't know if either of you has an opinion and wants to start off with. Uh, the floor is yours. Yeah. So there are two CRTs. There's the critical race theory that I know of, which is a highly esoteric, um, essentially elective class that you can take in some law schools that teaches you a variety of incredibly eclectic legal theories that I, some of which I like and some of which I think I disagree with. And then there's the critical race theory that people like Christopher Rufo have been trying to push, a sort of catch-all term to describe all anti-racism. We see these anti-CRT bills being put through straight legislators, and a lot of them don't even mention critical race theory. They mention stuff that's been boilerplate anti-racist theory for like two centuries. Um, that stuff really concerns me. If I think that academia is to an extent sacred, uh, of course, all the good things in our society now were born in the halls of academia, the enlightenment, our democracy, the fair trial that we enjoy if we're arrested. These were things that were originally considered to be the crackpot initiatives of academics, and only through the respect of those ideas have we arrived at well, what we have today. So if there are problems within academia, I would have them solved in academia, not through the big hand of government reaching in and censoring everyone who says something that disagrees Just, with some political. And so what I want to try to do here, Tim, is we can talk about critical race theory as an academic theory, or we could use a filler term like wokeism, which is more like racial justice. We, we, we refer to it as, uh, it's, I, believe, I believe it's called critical race praxis. Mm -hmm. So this is something different than critical race theory. It's being implemented in education, but that's why you said wokeism and well, you and said- I, I just think that discussion is so unhelpful when Joy Reid and Christopher Rufo are screaming at each other and Joy Reid is saying like, it's not being taught anywhere, Christopher Rufo, so yes it is, when in reality they're both right they're just talking about two completely different things. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? No, like, no, I do. And Christopher Rufo has admitted this is like a kind of tactic. Critical race theory does sound spooky. You know, I get a little shiver when I say it. Um, whereas stuff like anti-racist theory or structural racism maybe compel a little bit more thought when discussed on. It's kind of a moral panic that, in principle, I really disagree with. But if you want to talk, I mean, we can call it wokeism if you want. How about like black-only dormitories? Generally not a fan. I think that, okay. I don't think they're like, explicitly harmful in the same way that traditional segregation is, but I also think that it incentivizes bad types of socialization, where the way that you get a reprieve from the faults of society is to find comfort in people of your own race. We had a book here. Mm -hmm. We had a book brought to us by uh, one, of these, one of these parents who's been going to these schools, and it was an anti-racist curriculum workbook where it asked you, uh, it asked children why they thought that black children felt bad about their skin color. Now, I take issue with those things. They had another book where it was a little girl yelling at her mother saying, you're lying to me about race. And then there was a whiteness contract with a devil tail coming out of it. Okay, I saw that one. Yeah, these are in schools. Yeah, okay. So that the whiteness devil tail thing, I saw that. That's indefensible. Yeah. I'm not going to stand at that. With regards to that, what was it? The why do you think black folk feel bad about their skin? And, and I'll be careful because uh, I don't have the book in front of me. Mm -hmm. It was something to this effect. It was a bunch of questions where it would ask you things like that and then ask you to answer you know, how, what have you done to make someone based on their skin color behave or whatever and, and things of that nature? So Ibram X. Kendi, and I'm paraphrasing, and mm -hmm. you guys could pick up the quote, is that we need discrimination today because there is discrimination yesterday. That's the essence of the quote, right, Tim? Yeah, he said the only solution for past discrimination is present discrimination, yes. and the only solution for present discrimination is future discrimination. So I find that to be reprehensible. What, uh, what, says, what say you? I think it's misguided in large part because I don't believe if, if there was some God who could just distribute all resources in a perfectly you know ordained way and did so at the snap of a finger, then maybe that would be a decent argument. In the real world, we have to go through politics and any kind of discriminatory treatment under any circumstances, no matter how well-intentioned, is going to have adverse effects. So in with regard to what he said, there is a very charitable interpretation. And that charitable interpretation is 
uh, discriminatory practices in the past necessitate favorable practices today, a way of bringing people up. My reparations argument, I mean, the poor in this country have always had it bad, uh, at least worse than they could otherwise. That is essentially a version of that argument, preferable treatment towards the poor. We do this with welfare because there are systemic barriers keeping them from full participation. But sometimes I think these are fun to discuss, these ideas. What I noticed, at least in some of the classes that I took, the higher end classes, you know, um, was that sometimes when you were presented ideas, they were presented not to have you agree with them, but rather to incentivize the greatest discussion. For example, um, I, I wasn't an economist, but I did learn about Karl Marx. Now, not many professors are actual Marxists, unfortunately. So when Marx was brought up in that context, it wasn't like, here's what you need to know, here's what you should believe. It was more, here are some ideas, radical and agreeable, what do you think about them? And when I look at what Kendi has written, I think, I don't often agree with some of the more radical propositions, but I do enjoy the process. And I don't think that's something which should warrant the state intervening to cut out those discussions. I think that's a that's a, that's a great, brutish response. That's a great segue, if I could go. So the next question then is, should we be teaching first and second and third graders to be hyper-conscious aware of race all the time? I think that's destructive. I think it goes against the American promise of e pluribus unum, of caring more about character than skin color. Do you, do you see any downsides to getting three-year-olds just caring, uh, th not three-year-olds, third graders caring about the color of people's skin all the time? Well, I think depending on their environment, they might, all might already, whether they know it or not, in very implicit and subtle ways. We know from tests done, for example, on like little, little kids, like four-year-olds or whatever, that some elements of implicit racial bias already infect their thinking. Now that isn't a moral judgment. We're all flawed beings. We live and we die. We all have biases. That is just a part of life. But I think conversations about those things can be valuable. I don't believe we live in a colorblind world. So teaching people that we do can often lead them to remain ignorant to evident problems. I have long had problems with many of the ways children are taught concepts in this country. That's fair. None of them have made me want to get my state legislators to just outright ban all of these ideas. Well, so let me, let me I'll make two points. First, uh, the 1619 Project is in, uh, in schools. Uh, Newsweek reports U.S. schools have openly taught the 1619 Project for months. This is back in September. Mm. We've got Education Next, the 1619 Project enters classrooms. We have the Pulitzer Center, the 1619 Project curriculum. Here you will find resources for teaching 1619 in your schools. And uh, I don't know if I have one more source, right? Then we, then we move to the- Do they read the full thing in class? That's crazy. It's, it's pretty dense reading, you they, know? They, they it is. It. They do it. And then reduce lawmakers reduce. push to ban 1619 from schools. So it, it's there. It is. And, and so let me tell you why people like, uh, like myself are pushing for the bans of the 1619 Project. Is mm -hmm. that first of all, it's just not true. It is, it is not even charitably, in the most charitable reading, to use a word that you used, even remotely fair to the ethos or the founding of the country. It doesn't, it doesn't go to original source documents. It doesn't go to quotations. And it meanders through generalizations and very heavy emphasis on emotion. Can I ask something, though, really Sure, quick? go ahead. Is this not being presented as an alternate perspective as opposed to replacing the entirety of our curriculum? No, it is. And this is an important thing, which is what is education, right? So is education where we're supposed to, for third, fourth, and fifth, and sixth graders, open up every single bad idea that's ever been discovered and have kids choose? Or are we trying to lead them towards something? Lead them towards having better developed character? Lead them towards trying to find objective truth? Moral. And we want to make them moral. I agree. And so the question is, what is good? What is evil? Well, we don't know a line is crooked unless we have a straight line to compare it to. Well, you know what I think on this, don't you? 
I actually don't. The narrative we've told about the founding of this country has for a long time been deeply whitewashed. Uh, we talk about the founding fathers like they're heroes, and there is heroism in their lives, no denying that. Um, and we often gloss over many of the horrors of this country. There are things that we've done, for example, that we would use as uh, the, an incentive to forever despise other countries that nobody's even taught about. Like uh, uh, one I read recently, for example, was that we did um, mass chemical bathings and I believe it was sterilizations of Hispanic people at the beginning of the 20th century moving up past the southern border because there were like these militias forming in towns near the border. All right, there you have it. That was the Timcast IRL show between Charlie Kirk and Vosh talking about critical race theory. I took some notes and I'm going to just go point by point here. So at the beginning, Vosh says there's two critical race theories in academia, critical race theory is an elective class, esoteric, eclectic legal theories about social inequity, about racial inequity. And then you have Charlie Kirk saying that, yeah, but that's not what's being taught in schools. What's being taught in schools is more wokeism. And again, I talked about wokeism earlier, and here is an article that's talking about the psychology of wokeism, saying that hate requires the obliteration of context. He's saying that power theory teaches us that every system develops a subsystem that initially makes rules that are good for the system, but eventually that governing subsystem makes rules that are good only for itself. He says, on the political left, wokeness sometimes drifts into wokeism, a system of thought and behavior characterized by intolerance, policing the speech of others, and proving one's own superiority by denouncing others. So, that would be wokeism. Which one is being taught in school? That is what people like Christopher Rufo is arguing. Now, Christopher Rufo is an American activist, and he is here seen on Twitter saying, over the next 10 weeks, I will expose critical race theory in 10 of America's Fortune 100 companies. Buckle up. So Christopher Rufo against critical race theory, against uh, pushing this into schools. Now, Vosh talks about academia as in college, really, but academia starts in school, and that's what's being taught. Well, it seems that Charlie Kirk believes that this is being taught in school to make white people feel guilty about how people of other color must feel about their skin because of things that happened, not from you yourself, the guilty white person, but because of your forefathers. And I see, actually, I see that side. And I also see Vosh's side of saying, yes, but there, there is a difference between being black and being white in the United States. And can't we at least talk about it? And so Charlie took this in his own direction, saying what's being taught in school is there's a heavy emphasis on emotion and there is very little source documentation or no source documentation. And it's the wrong and a very like guilty, shameful look at American history. Could be true. And Vosh said, do you see this? as a complete replacement of the educational system because I see it as something that is literally just an annex to it. It's adding into the conversation. So imagine there's a conversation societally that's happening and something else needs to be interjected. 
Is that new thing that's interjected meaning to take over the priority and the importance of everything else? Or to simply say we need to incorporate this into the mechanism, such as incorporating a brake into a car, right? Now, maybe that's a little too binary. You know, if you have a gas pedal in a car and don't have a brake, you know, a lot of damage could be had. So let's say a speedometer. It's adding a new mechanism into the overall functioning thing at present. I mean, you can say society is at least still functioning in some sort. People aren't consuming themselves and eating each other and dying on the streets. I know we hear about that stuff, but it still seems like society is functioning. So in that, I kind of feel like I agree with Vash saying that these aren't things that be, uh, that, um, let's say, professors are teaching in school. And I can't prove this. I can only say this is what Vash is saying. That these things aren't being brought up to make you feel a certain way. They're there to incite the most, uh, or incentivize the most inspiring good discussion. Now, here's another thing about Vash. Vash said, taking every topic that you could argue against and making statewide bans, that's the wrong use of government. There should be less um, infiltration by government on what can be talked about in academia. And I can see that side of it, but there is still this thing called a curriculum in school, meaning this is teachers aren't just given their own free reign to teach what they wish, they're given a curriculum. So it's different. It's institutionalizing it. So I can see how a state ban could slow the progress of what introducing an idea to third graders could mean by the end of their life. Because if you hook them while they're young, then they're, they're already on team left or team right by the time they get to the halls of academia, as Vash is saying. So the fact that it's curriculum means that if it's being taught throughout schools, maybe not all schools, but if it is being taught throughout schools, can we, can Charlie at least have his say about whether this is good or not to be teaching third graders? Could there be a balancing conversation to that? If, according to Charlie, the left is coming up with wokeism and introducing it into schools, could there be an antidote to that? added in. If this is conversation that incites things and topics and discussion that we should be having in society, what about the the opposing but not um, enemy side of it, but the opposing side as in I see it differently, let's debate. Let's get the conversation going. So I think the nuance here, and that's pretty much where I'll leave it, I think the nuance here with critical race theory in general, it has to get down to how are we grabbing um, the attention of third graders? How are we keeping it sanctioned inside of a little box and saying, now we're going to talk about race. What is allowed to be said societally? What are we allowing to be said? That needs to be talked about. So in many ways, I actually agree with Charlie Kirk more on his stance. And in the deeper dive, if you go over to benjosephstewart.com, become a member, you'll see in the deeper dive, I'm going to be talking about their debate about the vaccines. And I still kind of agree with the stance of Charlie Kirk. But interestingly, I seem to have come out of it liking Vosh more. He has more composure. I like his voice. You can tell he's well 
um, educated. Charlie, on the other hand, extremely well educated, but kind of brazen, kind of smirky. You know, he's got this kind of trickster thing to him. You can see Charlie's nervous system going on overload, whereas Bosch seems like he doesn't move out of that chair very often, but he seems very comfortable there, right? He's in his space when he's in the chair, able to swivel around and talk ideology. So this is the main point. We are in a world where we are pushing ideologies, and those ideologies are really being planted in people's brains like Inception. So if you're doing the Inception thing and you're planting these seeds inside third graders, what is that going to lead to? The flavor of what you teach and how you teach it is what's going to imprint itself upon the young, impressionable minds of children far more than all the details, I believe. Because the details themselves, if they're arrived at by the process of refining one's own critical thinking, then wherever that person lands, I think is good. I think that's good because that is a, that is a process of not just opening one's mind, but sharpening the blade of discernment, which most people, they don't do. They find their tribe and they protect doesn't matter if there's some, yeah, yeah, we got some problems, but this is my tribe. And then we get to justify some pretty unconscionable things on both sides of any debate that seems very binary in that sense. So really, the only thing I wish to bring in here is why is it important to look at these topics? Where should we land on critical race theory? Where should we land on what is COVID-19? Where should we land on the um, debate over vaccines and also health freedom and data aggregation? Harmony is the drummer, the singer, the bassist, the guitarist, the keyboardist, the backup singers. They all see their own diversity and they celebrate it by creating harmony. So that's, that's about as much as I'll say. Go over to benjosephstewart.com, become a member, get access to the deeper dives if you want to hear the debate between Charlie Kirk and Vosh on vaccines and then my thoughts on what kind of points they actually landed on. So I appreciate you all for continually coming back week by week. I do this show every Monday, Waking Infinity News, and then on Thursdays I have podcasts 5 p.m. Eastern every single Thursday. So I have Paul Mills and Tiffany Barsotti, Paul Mills um, from the Chopra Foundation, Tiffany Barsotti, one of the most incredible independent scholars I've ever met. This is going to be a great conversation, and I'll catch you all next time on Waking Infinity News.